Hi, my name's Austin Parenti. Wait. See, it needs to be very particular to you said, fulfill. You said you got to say hello and welcome to the Academy Podcast. Okay. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the Academy Podcast. Uh, my name is Austin Parenti. And my name is Aaron Mejias. And um, th- those are our names. So I'm glad we were able to get that uh, part down pat. Uh, it only took us about six, six takes or so. We've been talking about Plato's Republic. We're in our second episode right now. And this is the part where, um, where Plato has said in response to uh, Glaucon and Adamantus's, you know, arguments against classical justice. He said, okay, let's just create a hypothetical utopia. And from creating this entire city with all of its levels and orders, we'll be able to discern better the true nature of justice what what is what is justice in the individual is the same as what you would find justice in the state that's his argument and what is justice in the state would also be justice in the individual so he thinks it's easy it's going to be easiest to come to communicate it and discover it if we start with the big picture that we're all a little more familiar with than maybe the contours of the human soul right Yes. So you would, yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to decipher that. Yeah. So, yeah. So you would, you would, uh, we would say, you know, if you can find the, what, what a a just society looks like, the just operation of that, then it would be the same when you look at an individual. So going from macro level to micro level. And I think we talked a little bit about that in episode one, um, which is right. It's kind of unconventional to us today, but that's kind of how Plato wants to approach it. So yeah. we'll follow him. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely interesting. Um, so so just to recap, very briefly, Glaucon and Adamantus's arguments, they, they said oftentimes what we see is that uh, th- there's a spiritual component to it, that mm-hmm. justice, we're only participating in doing what is right um, uh, because we are uh, afraid of punishment or because we want a uh, proper reward, whether that's in the afterlife or that's just in our public appearance um, and, and how people uh, think of us. So, so he, they, they stack the deck with a bunch of these arguments for, wow, it really does seem like it is in our best interest in this immediate life to actually live unjustly but to cover ourselves and appear like just people, both before gods and men. Right. Morality is just, and I'm sorry to cut you off. There, oh, yeah, yeah. But morality <laughs> is just uh, is just conventionally agreed upon rules. Mm-hmm. That's really the thrust of it, right? It's like, well, we all get together. Um, obviously, we can't have a society with everybody killing each other and backstabbing each other and cheating each other in business deals. So we'll just kind of agree um, on certain rules that we should follow in order to live together because we gain more out of that. Um, and so that's what morality is. There's right. no, there's no inherent justice in anything. It's just, it's just, these are agreed upon rules. And if you can, if you can get away and this is what everybody's doing, it's like, if you can get away with just being unjust, um, and you know, live your life out of your own personal self desire, um, then you would even be praised for it. You just hide yeah. it, and then you're shrewd. You're, you're shrewd. I, I, I asked my as we were working through this. I asked my little brother the other week. I said I gave him the Reign of Gaiji's example. I said, if you could get away with anything, would you do anything? 
and and his not to put him on the spot, but the immediate reaction was yes. <laughs> you know, well, of course. What what else would stop me? And, and so I I think that is our our gut reaction as humans is to go that route. Yeah. But Socrates is going to give us another way to look at that equation. Right. Um, so I don't. Anyway, why don't we just get into? Yeah. It? So we move. Yeah. So right now we move right into the what is called the preliminaries. So mm-hmm. we're so and we're not going to. We're not going to, you know, um, discuss this too in depth um, because there's a lot more interesting stuff that we really want to touch upon in this episode. But we get into the beginnings of creating the society in question. Yeah. So, so it, it starts with, you know, he, he does a really nice job of just beginning to articulate his city as I don't remember if it's four or just like a couple of people, but slowly as he describes need after need coming up. Um, more and more people are added to the city until before we know it, uh, he, he's created a nice little line for us to see th- how we would go from just four or five people who've joined together into community into what we have today or then as, as big cities with farmers doing this role and educators doing this. And, and, and he calls them guardians, like the political leaders. Is that, that's the kind of operating term. So the five, so just really quickly, the five operating classes that we're dealing with in, in, um, in Plato's Republic that he establishes. And this is going to be important when we go forward into looking at, um, I guess the soul, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, would be we have producers, so agricultural and industrial producers. We have merchants, sailors, and ship owners. Remember, this is Greece. And retail traders, so not like your, it's not like a mall like Macy's. It's like just people who are exchanging um, goods. And then you have the wage earners and manual laborers. Um, so those are the five those are the five main economic classes in which in which are going to be situated in the republic that he establishes. And also another interesting thing that I want to touch upon really quickly is that he actually kind of, um, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but he actually kind of establishes, I don't know if you notice this when you're reading it, but he kind of gets into social contract theory um, where... Do tell. <laughs> so, so for those who don't know, social contract theory is the, it was kind of, came about um, during the, Enlightenment period, 18th century European philosophers um, really began with Thomas Hobbes um, in England. But anyway. Yes. Okay. Right. So the idea that what, you know, how did man exist before he entered into society? And so they created this this idea of the state of nature. So like man Mm -hmm. pre-society. And this has kind of fallen out of favor in, in, in philosophy circles. But... Um, the idea of the state of nature is that this is man pre-society. He's living as, I don't know, just in tribes or whatever. Right. His and base and, state. Right. Base state. And then okay. and then they believe that if we analyze, you know, that transition from, from the state of nature into society, um, we can kind of find the root of, of proper governance um yeah a lot of the answers that we're we're looking for in philosophy right if we could see that base state but don't most worldviews i don't know this actually do and i don't want to get too sidetracked but do a lot of worldviews start with people in society or or um religions and origin stories um i'm trying to think of even what the greeks believed was there even a state of nature in their mythologies or 
what was it pretty much immediately people were incepted together in a community <laughs> like yeah you know it's it's interesting um i mean obviously pretty much all cultures have a creation story mm -hmm. they have kind of mythological beginnings for the cities in which they live um and so the the idea of of just like let's take athens for example like athens being you know there was a competition between poseidon and athena mm -hmm. for the city of athens and so there's like always a myth like they're inextricably tied with like your history and the mythology are like one and the same mm -hmm. whereas the state of nature looks at a more scientific route and where it's like it's trying to like let's take Locke for example um and so john Locke would say okay everybody's living in the state of nature and so they're you know they there's a you know the strong are going to take what they want and and you know people are just trying to make it and make it by and so they decide well in order to preserve my private property and and my life okay you yeah. know i'm gonna enter into a social contract that's where you right. get the three social you, contracts you protect me. yeah i protect you protect me we create a society of laws and that way we can protect our own okay. inalienable rights so that's kind of where it's coming from and so and so actually plato kind of gets into that a little bit and i just thought that was interesting to yeah. kind of talk about that yeah and and he, with that he gets into this thing that keeps coming back which is um, even if it wasn't for self-defense, it could have also been for, let's say, a shepherd can work with sheep really, really well if that's all he has to do. And so if we can give person number one all the sheep to be the shepherd, then person number two can specialize in this and they can support each other and get farther in their specialization. Is that also part of his social contract or is that just kind of a later? Yeah, he, he establishes it where the society begins because people cannot, um, it kind of enters into a sort of division of labor kind of sense, mm -hmm. uh, a specialization where, um, what does he say exactly? He goes, um, he says, um, uh, sorry about that. He goes, society originates then, said I, so far as I can see, because the individual is not self-sufficient, but has many needs which he can't supply himself. Or can you suggest any other origin for it? No, I can't. Um, and while we can have, uh, you know, many people to supply our varied needs, uh, we have assembled quite a large number of partners and helpers together to live in one place, and we give the resultant settlement the name of a community or state. So there's like a deep economic need yeah. that lays at the basis of the state because but also there is a there is it gets into the definition of justice like you said because what you're dealing with again techni right i'm gonna keep driving mm -hmm. that home but he says that you know the the person who is a is a merchant or a sailor is best served doing that one role and the farmer is best as doing that one role as farming and the carpenter and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. the idea is, is that you don't want to have one person, Austin, let's take you for an example. I don't want you farming and oh, making man. shoes and building houses. <laughs> so I want you just farming yeah. and I want me to just build houses and I want this person to, you know, so on and so forth. And that's, and, and so you get into the specialization um, but also that's what good skill is to Plato. So yeah. is, is honing in on exactly what your purpose is, what you're supposed to be doing, and then making that perfect. And the Greek word for that, the perfection of a virtue is called areti. And so areti uh, being like the ending of like the very last stage of a virtue over a principle. Mm. That is the perfection of it. And so even so even in the idea of a technique of a skill ha is a virtue itself to be skillful in the thing. And so and then there is an ending point to that virtue. Yeah. And so that's the only way is to specialize for him. Hmm. And I think that's fair. 
I think that's fair to say. Um, um, people who devote themselves wholly to a particular craft, we praise them. Yeah. But we uh, also kind of, but also like the counter argument could be, um, and I want to be fair to counter arguments here for a little <laughs> bit, is that, you know, we kind of have that idea of the Renaissance man, right? Jack where of it's all like, trades. Jack of all trades where we're like, oh, wow, he's he's fantastic at everything. But how many people honestly are like like that? No, yeah, but but, but there are skills that totally benefit from a more um, survey understanding of, of the world. Again, I say survey, <laughs> you know, like if you're going to be, again, the only thing I really know is filmmaking, so I guess I'm actually fulfilling specialization <laughs> as I'm talking about this, but how can you make good films if you don't understand some of the world's greatest stories and histories and philosophies and themes and morals? And all those are smaller specializations, I guess, that make up, that add into this bigger one. So... Uh, and, and also there's the technical side of film, but, but you're right. After a while you start to see people, um, they become great camera operators and that's kind of their specialty. They become great boom operators and the industry likes them to stay there too. Like if you become good at boom operating, be careful because you will never move over to camera operating. So don't be known for that. <laughs> so I, yeah, we, we do have this like human for, maybe it's not human. Maybe it's, maybe he's right about this specialization. We just kind of like, uh, unconsciously move towards specialization it, it's like a current um yeah and this is going to be explained more yeah. when he when he ends up kind of he almost explains justice later on and this will be in further episodes is that it's people minding their own business <laughs> uh, which is funny um but it makes sense when we understand that idea of people specializing in craft and and um i and this is where like critiques of plato can kind of come in where it's like Oh, is this really, is this really a good thing? It kind of feels gross where it's like, oh no, he's going to say like, no, you have a class and you're going to stay there and you're going to, and you're going to specialize in a thing and you're not going to move from it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're supposed to do. But if we, it, on that's on the macro level, if we want to look at this as a political work, but if we took it as a, as a metaphor, right, just different interpretations, if we took it as a metaphor, it would be, how does one specialize in justice? Because everybody should specialize in justice, right? No matter what skill you have, you yeah. should specialize in the skill of justice. <laughs> Just to kind of, you know, push up against that again. You know, back and forth, back and forth. So, right. and there we have it. So the, the, the next part, correct me if I'm wrong, if there's a transition or if there's something we should, you know, stick with in the beginning. He moves toward education of, of the young. Yes. That is the next section, right? Before I dive into right. it. Really, yeah, really quick. I'll, I'll, so the transition is is that they keep enlarging the state, adding more people. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't really need to spend too much time on this um, because it's just, it's it's all leading into, you know, what, what Plato's going to really be talking yeah. about. So um, is that he eventually gets to, well, as we keep expanding the state, the size of the state is going to get bigger. Mm -hmm. And if the size of the state is getting bigger, then that means we're going to find ourselves in conflict with other with other states. So he's imagining that, you know, there are other, you know, Greek city states that are dotted around. And so we're expanding and then they're going to not like us. And he says, well, we need a we need an army. We need a warrior class. And he calls them the guardians, the guardians. That's of the who state. he calls guardians. Right. Okay. And so and so and then so then he gets into you know, the, the necessity, uh, like the qualities of the guardians is what he gets into in the preliminary section. And then uh, that's what leads into the education. And he says, so they will need to be courageous people and they will need to be taught to be courageous. Right. And that's his segue into the first section on education, which I, is actually, 
like education of, of the God of, of the gods and, and religion where he, he starts referencing these passages from the Iliad. And again, I'm just summarizing and then we can, we can dissect it a little bit, sure. but, but he references some points of the Iliad and other points in Greek mythology that expose the gods or great heroes to have moments of fear um, uh, or, or being hurtful or, or these weird kind of vices. And, and Socrates is like, okay, we need to rip those pages out and like not teach them because we need to breed a class of people who is going to see God as good um, and one who, uh, you know, is against evil. Um, and, and that was, okay, to the end of creating a class of people who is courageous, that makes sense to me. But to hit, But I know Socrates is like a truth hound, and so he's also tossing away books. And, and so I'm like, I'm trying to reconcile these in my mind. How can Socrates be all about truth and uncovering what is true and, and not hiding anything, but also, in the other hand, he's, he's seeming to, to restrict knowledge? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna rewind. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and, and we're gonna get into. So I'm gonna try to set this up as as well as I can because what we're and what Austin is talking about for the viewer is that we're getting into the the preliminary philosophy of education of Plato. Okay. And I'm so excited. Like I am <laughs> nerd. I, I am grinning here. Um, so so the first thing that we're gonna do is that he's establishing the guardians. And the guardians are 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 the warrior class, and they're going to they are gonna guard the city, but they're also gonna control the city. These he's setting up the ruling class. Oh, the soldiers are the rulers. Oh, yeah, I didn't yes, make that connection. Yes, yes, cool. I mean, not to spoil too much at a time, but yes, the guardians and the auxiliaries are they're gonna they're gonna control the city. Okay. Okay. So it's it's this is. I'm I'm gonna try to my best to unpack this. So what we're gonna do is is the beginning is that what are the qualities of the guardians? So these the warrior class that's gonna be kind of heading up the city, ruling things, and also protecting the people. Um. So he sa- he actually compares them to guard dogs. <laughs> so he says in different kinds of animal, but particularly in the watchdog to which we have compared our guardian for, you must have noticed that it is a natural characteristic of a well-bred dog to behave with the utmost gentleness to those it is used to and knows, but to be savage to strangers. Yes. I've noticed that <laughs> the kind of character we were looking for in our guardian is therefore quite a possibility and not at all unnatural. So how do you, that's the question of education. How do you build up that principle in which you are you are teaching the guardians what to fear and what not to fear? Teaching them to be courageous in battle without fear, to be vicious to strangers, but to also have a love of philosophy, of knowledge, of truth, of of justice. And so that way they are they are both in which they can they are they can be ferocious and without and you know without fear to be without cowardice um and to and to love valor to love honor to love to love courage all these principles these deep seated virtues but also to love philosophy to love truth to love good legislation all of these things mm. see what i'm saying so it's like and so and this is where i'm going to introduce another concept really quick um, before we actually move into education, because I think it's really important that we understand kind of the words that he's using. So one of the, 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 
the thing that the Guardians possess the most of, what or what he's trying to compare them to, if we're going to use this as a metaphor, would be Thumos. Thumos. Like from Skyrim. Like like the Thum. <laughs> Thumos. So Thumos means spiritedness. It means it means uh, courage. It's it's um like a like men without chests abolition of man like yes right yes okay. exactly it's it it is it is claimed that it's housed in the the heart um it's um so there's actually a really good article that I read about this um and it's uh it's titled um the roots of political community thumos and tradition in ancient Greek thought. And uh, this is by a uh, professor over in Kentucky, I believe. Wendell Berry. <laughs> um, his name is uh, Christopher uh, Paskowicz, uh, and he's an assistant professor of politics at Center College. And um, so he has that article, and this is, and, and it's it's actually published in, in one of a an online journal that I like to read called Anamnesis. Um, and um, they have a lot of good stuff on there. Um, cool. So Thumos is. I'm going to just pull a quote from this article. Um, So it's just kind of give a a sort of, a sort of understanding for the ancient Greeks. Thumos is an element of human nature that is best understood as a kind of frustrated or thwarted anger. Thomas Pangle describes the emergence of Thumos. Anger follows upon frustrated desire. When we desire a good move toward that good and are then thwarted, an emotion appears, which urges us to overcome the obstacle to the fulfillment of our desire. Wow. The same emotion is present when in moving away from an evil, we are, thwart- we are thwarted in flight. That emotion is Thumos. So think of like, so think mm. of something, you want something, like you desire something so badly um, that you, you know that you have this spiritedness, this courage, this your your desire to have that passion, the passion, like right. active passion, right? Exactly, and and then when you're and then and then somebody's holding it back from you, yeah. and so you're gonna do anything to get it. And so think about that for like an army where you your passion is the defense of your people, like you're you want so badly to defend from any enemy, foreign and domestic. Mm. And to, and then so education needs to sit at the head of that because Thumos is this is this anger, it, it's and it and it has and it has a bit of like a self identity where it's it's where you're identifying yourself in in a construct outside of yourself. You are identifying yourself, your honor, your being in the state almost right, like in your people. And so when somebody threatens that, you are going to attack. You are going to move towards that. And you, and that is a good that you are going to defend with all of your passion, all of your spirit. But you need education at the top of that. Because can you imagine, and here's the thing, this is, this is, this is kind of the root of a lot of what Plato's talking about, the, necessi- the necessity of philosophical education. Because imagine, imagine Thumos being pointed in the wrong direction. Imagine Thumos desiring yeah. something of a base nature. I think of, you know, when I was thinking before we recorded this podcast, I was thinking of uh, uh, the chocolate guy in SpongeBob <laughs> where he's like, chocolate, yeah. chocolate. Yeah. But imagine like, that's a joke, but imagine nothing will stop him. Imagine, from- right. It's like nothing is going to stop you from gaining chocolate. His Thumos <laughs> is like, I know he's a cartoon fish, but his Thumos is directed towards gaining chocolate. A, a bull in a china shop. I, I, an obstacle has been presented towards me of gaining chocolate, and I'm going to do anything 
to achieve that. And so here's the thing is that philosophical education is necessary because what it does is that it tells you this is what reason your reason is wanting. It's wanting what's good. Okay. And then you need to be aided by your spirit, by your will to achieve that good. So you're still using the emotion. You're just, if it could be called an emotion, the thumos, like it's your spirit, it's your will. Right, right. It's just directing it at the right thing, the right time, with the right self control. Correct, and with a with a love, with a passion. It is a love, and it's a passion. Like we tend to think of Plato as like a a a walking brain, (laughs) but he's all about yeah, yeah. He's he's all about love. Like it's it. The guardians need to love the state so fiercely their people so fiercely that they will give themselves wholly to their defense let me see if i let me try to synthesize yeah so before we move on to education i think i hope thumos is is in in you said anger like frustrated anger because uh when when your desire is thwarted it kicks in to try to surmount that obstacle yes um and, and and so, but but there's because of a truer love and desire for something else. It's a courage that overcomes danger. That's cool. Yeah, that's it is just, cool. It's epic. Yeah, it is epic. <laughs> and and I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get into more of a more in depth definition of thumos because it's gonna be very very important okay. um, into like when we start talking more about yeah. the 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 theories of the soul that Plato's going to present and things like that. But just for our purposes now, it's important to see that. As because like, you're right. Because at this point we're trying to figure Socrates is trying to describe how can we temper and, and angle the thumos. <laughs> it, 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 he, as he goes in to speak about education, it's about how can we control guide um, and, and use the thumos in our guardians. Right. Okay. Right. I'm on board. There you go. <laughs> this makes sense. Perfect. And so he comes to. We get to education. Right. And and does it was I right? Does it start with the religious? I don't know if it's even, if we should even call it religious education, but where he talks about the nature of God and um, um, and and that's where he starts throwing out those Homer quotes and and yeah, that's kind of the first stop on the train of education. Yeah. Yeah. So the it begins where he. Um, he, he talks about literary education, first and foremost, secondary literary education. And, and he, he kind of argues that, so I think the first thing to understand, like just in, in just kind of setting more of a context for an, a, a discussion on education in the ancient Greek world is that, is that there was, there was reading and writing in the ancient Greek world and there was physical education. And so, and then there was also literary education where they would learn how they would learn about the plays, they would learn about poems and they would learn to recite them. And so for Plato, it was those, the stories that you're taught, the things that you're reading as a kid are going to be the morals in which you grow up with. And we might say the same for like the movies that our kids watch. Yeah, just expand. And, yeah, just okay. expand it. It's sure, the same. Sure. It's the same thing. Or the video games they play. Yeah. Right. So the 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 content they consume as young kids in this time period being poems primarily would shape their morality in the future. Okay. Right. Right. So then he so then he starts with saying that we need to be very, very cognizant of exactly what we're presenting to to the children in the state. And we need to control what they're learning. Um, so he, 
I, 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 I want an answer to this and I know it's not the main point. Uh, so, so I don't want to dwell on it too long, but so he would be okay with restricting, like I'm thinking of brave new world, um, and, and uh, like a Huxley in view of education yes. and, and it's not Huxley's view of education. It's like, I don't think he was for this at all, but, but where certain books are locked away for the wiser people who, who can, who can handle the, the information. He wouldn't even give it to the wise. He, he wouldn't. So it's really just in a, in a vault somewhere in the depths of humanity, if not burned, like it just wouldn't exist. Is it because the, the works are untruthful or because they're unbeneficial or would he not separate the two? Because it sort of frustrates me, but I, I don't want my opinion to bleed. <laughs> For in an American, yeah, in an American concept, um, or just more of a Western concept, we believe in in the freedom of thought very deeply. But let me turn that on you. Where does that come from? You were you were taught, you know, it was you were raised <laughs> with the belief in the free, right? Yeah. And so here's your thumos. Being a little aggravated about how somebody's <laughs> oh, not believing in the yeah, he's not believing in the freedom of thought, and so you're you're like, oh man, like what the heck? How, how are you gonna have a, a deep control of education? How are you gonna? And that's not to engage in any sort of moral relativity, but I'm just saying that I'm just trying to point it out to you that here you are, <laughs> and it's fair. like, wow, this is a very Huxley in control of education, and I'm like, well, you were raised to believe that there shouldn't be. And see how your passions are now orientated and how you were raised up to believe in something as being right. Sure. I'm the watchdog of freedom of speech, I guess. And, and there you thought. go. And I would say, and listen, I'm going to say that's a great thing. I do believe, like, I'm not saying that I completely, like, I'm going to agree with Plato that we need to control. But but also we would say, we would say that, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> Plato does end up admitting that later on, um, that uh and i can i can try to find the quote but he does say later on in the book um past this section where he says that you know when you when when somebody is educated you know and is and is taught to love you know what is good what is beautiful to love knowledge to love reason and they're raised up in that way and you know without fear with just you know being courageous embracing virtue then you can then life experiences and seeing things that are that are bad that are that are not good that you know are not beautiful and and test that for them they will know how to approach it mm-hmm. does that make sense sure. so it's not like it's not like he's saying i mean initially he's saying we need to control what what is being taught and we do that now the thing is is that it doesn't it doesn't prevent it doesn't prevent them from saying okay you know eventually you will experience life you will come across things that will challenge you but you will know um what does he say he says specifically that he says um he says and it's really beautiful he goes um when they're raised up to love what is right and i'm paraphrasing here raised up to love what is right when reason finally comes to them um they will you know they will know to like greet her and love her all the more and and so uh, i really want to find the quote but go ahead and ask your questions i'm gonna go ahead and yeah yeah you, you skim for a bit I, that's acceptable <laughs> <laughs> i will take that that answer 
Um, it was, and and again, I know this isn't the main point of why he's writing this, but this is all so new to me. Like, um, wh- where he he starts talking about the nature of of God and goodness, he says, "Is this little dialogue? I think it's with Glaucon. Um, God is always to be represented as he truly is, whatever be the sort of poetry, epic, lyric, or tragic. Um, and is he not truly good? And must he not be represented as such?" And no good thing is hurtful, and that which is not hurtful hurts not, and that which hurts not does no evil. And and so he, he goes on to describe, it sounds to me like one God who is absolutely good with no vices in him. Um, yeah. And, and we talked about this briefly, but maybe you could reiterate for me and for the for the listener. So does, is is Plato a monotheist? Like. Uh, or, or and 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 is he totally rejecting the classical mythology that I thought was popular <laughs> in his time? Um, a few things. So one being that the word gods and god is used interchangeably. Okay, so I'm not. Okay. So yeah. I'm not going to say, you know, Plato was a monotheist. He seems to lean that way. If you're going to believe the dialogues, there's uh, where he does start to talk about you know just there's one god and mm-hmm. and from all things emanate from and it's interesting because he there's the neoplatonist uh plotinus um um and now i'm like way ahead of myself here but plotinus he he ends up talking about there's there's one god one intellect in which all things emanate from hmm. so and he gets that from plato so it's it's kind of hard to nail down um but in terms of mythology whether whether Plato believed in the gods. I don't really think any... So there's a misconception. So like by the time Plato is writing and Aristotle's writing, the Greeks didn't believe in Greek mythology. Okay. That's very, <laughs> that clears it up. That's very, yeah, that's very <laughs> early on where you get all those mythological stories of, you know, Hercules, the Minotaur, Zeus, and all that. Perseus. Yeah. And, and Kraken. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know if there's a Kraken. Yeah, but, I don't think so. But <laughs> they... bad movie. But they, they, um, they didn't really believe in in greek mythology at that point so okay so there that is um and um so he uses them interchangeably but what he does say is that he he says um you know god is god is good god is perfect he doesn't change forms um he um um he always is right he is what is just and so the idea of of these mythological beings quarreling and 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 uh, and doing unjust things, mm-hmm. um, you know, Zeus sleeping with his sister Hera, and 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 them and them cursing and cursing human beings out of jealousy or something like that. He says that we need to strike all that out because the idea is is that if you know, for a young person, it, well, if the gods can do this and that and the other, then why can't I? Just a mere mortal. I think that's fair. So what Plato's saying is that, yeah, we should, we should, you got to cut all of that out. That's the first thing he says, right? He says, all those stories about the gods doing X, Y, and Z, he's like, forget it. Get rid of it. It has okay. no place. It so has no place he wasn't, society. he wasn't like blaspheming. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Oh, because that was my first time. Like, oh boy, <laughs> I hope he doesn't get in trouble for this because it sounds good, but. And then the next thing he does is that when he starts going into like the afterlife and he says, we also need to teach people. That 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 you know these other names for the world below. What does he say? Cossius and sticks. I know sticks. I don't know how to pronounce the other one. <laughs> like that that they're not. Um, they they shouldn't be depicted as such a horrible place. If we're to build up men of courage, they can't think of the afterlife as being 
a horrid underworld underbelly right like, yeah you you cannot fear death in battle right very practically you yeah. cannot you can't fear death you have to be courageous you have to want because again this is for the guardians so mm-hmm. you have to you have to embrace that so the idea of of gods being immoral or you know having multiple gods god has to be the cause of all good things cannot be bad cannot be changing forms and also you cannot fear the afterlife so this sounds so um i don't want to misuse the word utilitarian um but that's the initial thought that comes to mind. Because but, you would be using, you would be misusing the word. But but that he's so focused on on like an output, and he's constructing means to get there. Like, does he also oh, yeah. believe that? Like, oh yeah. Uh, hold on. Let's let. Here we go. We are concerned with making good character. We are. You are clay, in the hands of a potter. And. I'm not going to let the clay decide what the clay wants to be. Sure. sure. I, I'm, and, and maybe that's a bad analogy, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> we, we are concerned with making principled good people. So for Plato, here's the thing. If I ask you the question, well, would you rather be good or evil? Like if I can teach you and make you into a good person, wouldn't you rather that? You see what I'm saying? It's that I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, I am, I am, listen, I understand freedom, free will. No, not, not so much even the freedom, but, but just the fact that he's, he's tossing out the conception of the afterlife with no, um, no, he's not, he's not tossing out the afterlife. He's tossing out the, what they have defined the afterlife to be. And he's sure. changing it for the sake of creating a better person now, not because of evidence that the afterlife is, is something you know what I mean? Well, like, well, or is it the evidence? Is the evidence that yeah, you're onto will, something? There, okay. right? Because here it is: is that if once again going back to it, if God and the afterlife and the and the I guess religious realm, the theological realm of things, is good, is evidently good, then why would there be an afterlife that's bad? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like in my notes, what did I write? Because I knew this argument was coming. <laughs> you knew um, I'd, get, I'd yeah. get frustrated so with this. <laughs> the good is self-evident. The stories of the gods must fit with the reality. Okay. So he's right. not so, just making stuff right. out of his so, Right. No, no, no. For, because uh, if, if the realm, because if there's a spiritual realm, right, let us assume a spiritual realm exists and it is the source of existence, right? And so therefore, concept, the, the good, he's going to say, well, from that, that's where good comes from. That's where good comes from. If you know, if existence is good, and then from, and then and and uh, and we have good and evil, and we have the spiritual realm. That's where good comes from. And so the idea of so what he's saying is is that the stories that we had before, yes, we need to cut them out for practical reasons, but also because they're bad. <laughs> they're bad. They do not encourage good virtue. They don't so encourage good principle and true. character. So it cannot be true. Okay. There we go. You you yeah, figured it out for me. Got it. Sorry. There we go. It can't be true. It can't be true that we have to, it has to be gotten rid of because it's, because it is bad a, and also because it's untrue because we would, because here's the thing is that if we want to make people a good character to be in line with virtue and, and, and right principle and right order in their soul, mm-hmm. we have to have the stories that fit it. And if you have stories that don't fit it, then they're not true. That's a really cool way of looking at it. Okay. I'm satisfied. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so here's, so I, I understand like, Plato, he's he's kind of controlling education, kind of he is. He's controlling education. So it seems it seems seen. very yeah, it seems very authoritarian. Um, but it we have to understand that what he's what he's trying to do is yeah. is 
make good make good guardians, make good citizens, good right. rulers. You helped me swallow that pill. That's good. <laughs> I choked a little on the way down, but so he talks about Achilles and 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 quotes some sections of the Iliad where heroes are shown to have weak moral character, and he's also saying strike that, which. I feel like I'm challenging everything today. So why don't you just <laughs> just extrapolate on that? Before. Yeah. Uh, okay. So um, I want to make this. I want to ground this and make this more relatable. Name a hero. George Washington. Okay. <laughs> George Washington. Um. So if George Washington is a hero in the American conscience, and I would assume most of our viewers are American, um, because us in the United States we have a very egotistical view of the world and so we think we're <laughs> the center and and um um so let's say george washington's a hero okay great yes so imagine imagine george washington doing all the things that he did but he was just a guy who like cried and complained a lot threw ashes on his head um you know would gallivant around with women and and he and he just did morally questionable choices and i mean somebody would say, uh, he owned slaves. Gotcha. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but the, it would, it would change our conception of what a hero is. Right. So it's the same thing with the gods. Right. So like, yeah. so like take that for example is where, well, the gods, uh, well, the gods can't be doing all these immoral things and teaching us and teaching our kids that it's okay to participate in such frivolities, so to speak. The same thing would be for the heroes because the heroes are being exclaimed and exalted as, as, as more than human, as being, you know, perfect almost. And or, many of know, them were demigods, right? Too. And being okay. demigods, right? Yeah. Like of being of being granted power and and prestige and honor by the gods themselves. Well, can they be? You know, can they also be immoral and unjust and cowardly? Well, absolutely not, because we have to. Again, it's about setting a good example, right? So strike it from the record. So I guess I guess Socrates and slash Plato doesn't uh, believe in the effectiveness of a cautionary tale. Like, cause when I read Ooh. Homer, Ooh. right? Like when I read, Homer, I thought about it, that. It, it bleeds of like, here's a bunch of people who make bad decisions and then they suffer for it. And so we're meant to learn from that. But he's saying, I suppose that, that it would be much stronger just to have a perfect example before us rather than, uh, somebody who, uh, makes mistakes. That's a really good question. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, I think. I think the only thing I, I could I could say to that would be that again it's more about think about about it in terms of the thumos right so maybe there would be a cautionary tale in Plato's in, in Plato's Republic and I think this is a good this is a good point for me to say that remember that Plato is writing about a dialogue a casual dialogue it's not it's not a philosophical treatise in the way that we would think of it today where we're constantly thinking about. Oh, you know, counter argument, counter argument, counter argument. Every right, exactly. He's yeah. he, they're not doing that. It's just there's not there's and as we go on, there's a lot of things, a lot of questions that we can ask to Plato that he does not answer. Sorry, mm-hmm. yeah, dang it. So, so the only thing I would say to that is that a there is the thumos, and so it has more to do with like making sure that you're loving the right thing first, right? That you have a passion and a spirit towards the right thing. Um, what is good and you're being taught that um and so all of this education this preliminary education section that we're going through needs to be viewed in that context but then also i'm that there's no specifics right so maybe there is a cautionary tale um and i and i'm pretty sure 
I'm pretty, I mean, I may be wrong, but there, there probably is a section where, you know, again, he talks about, or just going back to what I referenced before is that later on in life, you're going to experience yes. things and there's going to be, right. There's going to be cautionary tales. It's it, it, remember, this is just preliminaries of education for, for young minds. Okay. And it's, and so he's emphasizing the importance of sheltering them and making sure that once again, they're orientated towards the right things. Um, and a cautionary tale may come later. I don't know. There's no, there's no specifics in that regard. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a good criticism that you can level against Plato, even though he's long dead, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, those are the two, those are the two things that I would say. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay. So, so he talks about the demigods and the heroes and how they too have to be, um, examples good positive examples for our guardians to follow and that makes sense again given the output that he's looking for um then i'm looking so this is such a small little sentence here but it, it did trip me up where he says um okay then if anyone at all is to have the privilege of lying, ah. <laughs> the rulers of the state should be the persons, and they, in their dealings either with enemies or with their own citizens, may be allowed to lie for the public good. Can you help me understand what Plato sees as a lie? Is it, is it what I'm thinking? And and why is it permissible for the ruler to lie? I don't want to spoil that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's tease that out for the viewer. Sure. Um yeah, there's there is a there is a mythical lie that he will set up later on in the book, and I I believe that's what he's gonna be referencing towards. Um we want truthfulness, but there may be a falsehood that we need to establish in order to kind of get the whole thing jump started and 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 it's it's and it's called you know it's it's the great mythical lie um and it will be and this is a, this has been a thing that has been debated uh, for a very long 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 time <sighs> that plato establishes and and we will definitely unpack that um so i only ask okay with great humbleness that you that we table that question and and we continue moving because I'm that, that sure. i don't want to spoil that for the uh for the for the viewer yeah. or sorry the the listener oh <laughs> well they could be looking at the single floating graphic on youtube <laughs> <laughs> so they could be a viewer um okay yeah sneaky boy plato will get away with this this for time now. <laughs> so first we have conversations about the gods and how they're to be portrayed uh, in education, um, how they're to be taught. We have the heroes and the demigods. Um, and then the next thing we're like, imi not imitators. He, he uses that actors who, um, but, but that's really like when you study literature, you're, you're, you're kind of doing a performance. Like I don't completely understand how the Greeks did it. Cause I hear they're like choruses and poems and singing and acting and right. in my mind, they all right, go right, together. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, 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 okay, so to kind of explain a little bit more. So we have moved from content of education where it's like we were talking about, okay, well, there are a number of things that we're being taught currently in classical Athens about the gods and demigods and heroes that need to be taken out. To the method. Uh, and then, yeah, and then we're moving to the method, to cool. the form of education. And so wow. and so of, of exactly how we're going to, going to teach this. So, but also, you know, also talking about the purpose of education. So we move from, you know, um, well, we need to teach right virtue, good character, uh, um, strength, piety, self-control, all those things. And what was hindering us from achieving that in young minds? 
and he lists them. You know, bad teaching about gods, bad teaching about demigods and the heroes. Cut that out. And now we're gone to the content of it. And so what you're referencing is, is that back in ancient Athens, uh, students were, when you were taught a, you know, a Homeric poem, so to speak, that, or as an example, sorry, then you would act out a character. You, uh, a, a student would act out Achilles. Okay, and he would he would okay. get into character. They would they would you know they would they would recite the lines. Okay, mm-hmm. and so and you would be an actor basically, you know, uh, reciting these lines, remembering it, um, getting that into, was the way they right. learned. Mm-hmm. They learned secondary literary education. But Socrates throws a fit about that. Yes, yes, he <laughs> yes. says, get rid of that too. How dare you? Yeah, act. exactly. Okay. How dare you act? Yeah, get rid of it. Sure. <laughs> It's a horrible for, thing. for those who don't know, Austin, um, in addition to filming, he did engage in some acting on the side. Um, I was fantastic. You played, yeah, you played an excellent villain at the. Uh, I I do play villains pretty well. Yeah, apparently. at the school so, uh, in college, yes. you did that little play. I am always typecast as the villain, and I don't understand why. Because I think I'm a pretty smiley guy, but you know, sometimes it's those people <laughs> who have the darkest um, underbelly, kind of like Coruscant. Oh so my why does he, why does he hate acting? It's like there's there's it's imitating, but he's like you can't imitate. Is it the same thing? Like you can't imitate somebody who's bad, otherwise you'll start to be bad. So like Achilles has like don't his tan mock him. <laughs> be respectful. You're right. You're right. Um, but because Achilles is flawed in the Homeric poems, we shouldn't have students physically impersonating. Somebody right. We don't. Who's we don't want to have. We don't because. Let me explain. <laughs> his, There's his, no time to explain. Well, Let me sum up. Well, he he says he says um, it's a Princess Bride. I know, I know. <laughs> so he so he he has what we call representation. Think about it. Where as a young kid, you're taught to really get into character to imitate something, and he says he doesn't want. And so, and this is getting a, a little bit ahead into the section, but he's saying that I want representation is good. He's saying that you can you can get into character, but what characters are you representing is what's important. And so this is where he kind of gets into that um, he would he would rather someone represent a character in a narrative that has self control, great spirit, virtue, courage, not not and well he says women. Uh, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I just slide that in yeah, there. He's, yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a different time. Sex is played up. So he 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 doesn't want kids representing characters that are you know that, that don't portray those values uh, because you are really getting into character as a young you mind. Are. And if you're taught like, oh no, you gotta you you're gotta right. really believe that you're that person. You gotta get into the character. You gotta really act it out. That's gonna have an impact. Yeah, even even older actors. I, I watched an interview with Scarlett Johansson where she said that she thinks the reason Hollywood actors uh, are unable to hold relationships well, um, even married ones, is because they're constantly put in roles where they have to genuinely model love and affection for someone who is not their significant other. And that just breaks their ability to do it. So in the same way, acting is something that you have to do with great and, and and if if the teacher is emphasizing take it seriously in, in you know Athens and and really be the character like yeah that could be really dangerous if you're asking them to sure. be okay I, yeah that's yeah a, that's a totally yeah fair point. exactly exactly and so that's why he ends up getting into well when we're when we're talking about poetry or plays um, we need to we can do representation but he says that it should be less of a lyrical kind of take where instead it should just be 
you should just be presenting straight narrative hmm. where you can have some a little bit of representation but um he says that we need to have it where it's just the narrator you know reciting things basically rather than a play being acted out so that way you can kind of avoid this is where he gets that reputation of being a little stoic i bet <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, yeah i guess he, he um um, no, but but the point is, it, it's it's a totally valid point, you know. Like, of course, the artist in me is like, no, but like, he's not designing the perfect playhouse. He's designing an education system, you know, and so his concern is is different. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, like I mean, just to read a quote, just really quick, do he, it. Um, do you think then, Adamantus, that we want our guardians to be capable of playing many parts or not? Does it not follow from the principles we adopted earlier that one man does only one job well right. and that if he tries to take on a number of jobs, the division of effort will mean that he will fail to make his mark at many of them. The conclusion follows. And it will also apply to representation. A man cannot play many parts as well as he can one. He cannot. Hmm. I mean, it, it, it all yeah. ties together. I mean, of course, in our own modern conception of things, it's difficult for us to conceive of what he's kind of talking about. But if we took the time to say, oh, okay, well, we don't want... We, you know, we don't want, you know, people acting out in a, in a particular way. Um, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, for an example, we don't allow a middle school playhouse to do cabaret. I mean, I don't know, but, I hope but not. I don't, I don't think they do. I don't, you know, no, that, that no. Or, or rent or something like that. Um, there, because there are things in there that we just don't want them to be representing and taking on. So yeah. It, yeah, the high school I work at right now takes great um, care. Uh, they're very delicate uh, when when they choose the plays and, and they censor things where, yeah, you don't want high schoolers. And, and, and that's not to say, I mean, this is a broader conversation, but maybe we should be delicate with every play we choose for every age group because we're never done being educated. I think older minds are more mature and can handle but I don't think that that's a, that's a conversation that just ends when a student leaves high school or whenever they would be done with their studies in Athens. Yeah, and also he's not – it's not that he hates actors, okay? <laughs> right. uh, yeah, just, to, yeah. just to read another quote here. And he just, says, he just says, um, so if we are visited in our state by someone who has the skill to transform himself into all sorts of characters and represent all sorts of things and he wants to show off himself and his poems to us – we shall treat him with all the reverence due to a priest and giver of rare pleasure, but shall tell him that he and his kind have no place in our city, their presence being forbidden by our code, and send him elsewhere after anointing him with myrrh and crowning him with fillets of wool. So um, for ourselves, we shall for our own good employ storytellers and poets who are severe rather than amusing, who portray the style of the good man and in their works abide by the principles we laid down for them when we started out on this attempt to educate our military class. Yeah, there it is. Education, with the sole purpose of inculcating certain values and principles and virtues. That's it. You don't want to be. We don't want our soldiers to be yeah. imitating other things. I mean, when, when when you think about the product, it it makes sense, and it, and it's kind of worth the sacrifice. <laughs> you know, like sure. okay, so you don't have an emotional performance by an actor, but you have some great people. Like okay, that sounds like a fair trade off to me. Is the next section music that is so yes then we move on to yeah, so musical requirements and education which confused the heck out of me i it's <laughs> like what um and i and i play piano and i was like i don't know what so for for the listener the the section on music and I, you know what i'm just gonna be honest this is a philosophy podcast 
and <laughs> not an ethnomusicology I, I, podcast. I, I study philosophy and history. I don't study music, and mm. I and I particularly don't study music in in ancient Athens. So we're gonna skip this. <laughs> um, forgive us. But... Yeah, forgive us. Uh, I'm sorry if you if you know a lot about this. Please email email us. us. Uh, well, we'll... Yeah, please do. But I'm gonna skip it. <laughs> I think the main thing is that just have beautiful music. Really, okay. So for the listener, basically, he's just talking about. Different kinds of music that are, once again, it goes back to the original argument that it's like, well, certain kinds of poems and plays and, and literary works are suitable for the city. Some are not. Same yeah, thing with music. Some of some, them make you sad or, or encourage. Encourage you. And so, and, and there was, you know, there was chorus music and lots of music that was played, you know, in Athens yeah. that would be used. So he had his personal restrictions. Right. And he okay. had his personal restrictions and it doesn't hold as much relevance to us today because yeah. things have changed. And then here's the fun one that Plato you know, embodies as, as a wrestler was the gymnastics section, right? You like my callback there? I remember. Yeah. (laughs) Shameless plug. If you have not listened to the (laughs) introduction and context episode, it's a quick 15 minute episode where I go through, um, you know, just some of the, the history, uh, behind the book. One thing being Plato's name, meaning like wide forehead (laughs) or broad shouldered. Yeah. Plato's original name was, well, Plato's original name was, uh, Aristocles, Aristocles yeah. and then he was, and then but his nickname but then he was became Platus. a famous WWE wrestler and, and <laughs> yeah, took on exactly. Platos, yeah, it's like right. uh, the Boulder from Airbender. So, um, so this wrestling section was <laughs> not wrestling section. No, sorry, why did I say that? Gymnastics. Um, you were telling me to look at it at, like because again with everything I'm trying to context- contextualize, I'm like, okay, well he's talking about music, but well, what was Greek music like? In the same way, I was like, okay, what's what's this? Um, gymnastics crap. So people would get together and get <laughs> naked in a gymnasium and they would work out, men and women. And that's it. Okay. It was like a bathhouse so slash... Like, like what I think of as the gym now, but slightly less close. It's, no, it's exactly how you think of the gym. <laughs> it's okay. the same thing. Got it. Wait, is your gym not completely nude? <laughs> Sorry to... Now this is awkward. No. Yeah, I, maybe you should come to my gym, but don't bring your traditions with you. <laughs> I like no, I mean, gymnasium. I mean, the gymnasium was. I mean, remember they these guys invented the Olympics. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, right. So yeah, physical and, health was was important to the Greeks, um, and the gymnasium was a place. Of, yes, and th- this is where that that nice little quote comes that should probably be on like every gym is like the physical like or bodily training does not um, benefit the mind, but the mind would encourage bodily training. There is there is a there is absolutely a a link between that of physical education and mental education that the soul the soul is is the wholeness of our being right and so if we're if we're perfecting ourselves if we're perfecting our minds we're also perfecting our bodies and perfecting our bodies we're perfecting our minds we're supposed to be sharp in all areas so where are we at yeah. we're like actually right at an hour so um, like an hour we can we can do this we can do this. We knew this was going to be a longer section. Um, what what else do we want to talk about with gymnastics? Because uh, I, I think you, you kind of just synthesized it well, but I feel like it was longer than. But that's okay. He has like a random section member where he talks about the doctors and the and the and the judges, and he's like, uh, "I hate judges." <laughs> um, uh, I can't. Let me find that. Um, I'm saying yes. Could... This is where I was kind of referencing before, where I was like, "He's saying that." 
Judges should be gained through experiencing wickedness later on in life, while young minds should be sheltered so that they may, they can be taught good character. This is so that their experience with wickedness does not corrupt them as persons. This is where that quote is, where he's talking about like what I was referencing before. I'm like, he's not saying that you're not going to experience these things later on. He's saying that as a young man, you need to be sheltered and to be educated and brought up in the ways that you should live. And that when you experience them later on, you know what's wrong and that that's bad. And then you know what is good and you know what to do in that situation. And so what, and so he's kind of talking about how, well, like doctors and judges, you know, they should be elderly people. They, 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 like the judge should just be very old after having all yeah. that experience. Who have a wealth of, of. Yeah. It's a random, it's a random thing where he's like talking about it. I mean, the passage proceeds to criticize certain developments of contemporary medicine of which Plato disapproved. Um, uh, and more briefly con- condemn litigiousness, which is like litigation. Uh, he condemns legalism. No, not legalism. No. Like sorry, li- litigiousness, like litigation, like lots of lawyers and like things being oh, settled okay. in the court system. Just but, the practice of it. Um, and and so, he, but he has an interesting quote where he says that you know the, the, those who have some pretensions to a liberal education need skilled doctors and lawyers. That is pretty conclusive proof that education is in, in a state is disgracefully bad. Mm-hmm. So he's basically saying that like if you need to rely on the courts to settle matters between between private persons, that's not that's not a good thing. Okay, um, so so let me let me synthesize since we're coming to an end here. Um, Plato, ha- Plato, Socrates has given us a, a a total reworking of education that completely prioritizes um, building the virtuous, courageous man with the strong and and properly angled thumos, um, and that's mostly for the guardian class, the defenders, the guys who need to be courageous in the battlefield. Right, that's that's. Who right. we're talking about so so every area from your religious studies to your literature to your physical education and music has to angle yourself towards virtues and completely disregard the vices um, and and that can be learned but later in life when you have a wealth of goodness to draw from in your education mm, yes is that fair cool well I think this is super interesting and I can see how he's gonna build off of it in the future uh, chapters and I know you're excited so why don't we why don't we call it here and next time um, we, we will pick up and see where this, this education leads us in this conversation about justice in society. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, we really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time out of your days to listen to us ramble on about philosophy. We do. And we just ask that to wherever you're listening to the Academy podcast that you would just please, 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 please leave a good rating for us. Um, please, uh, please subscribe to wherever you're listening to us and make sure to just tune into all of our content. Um, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Instagram if you want to get any extra content that we're putting out on social media. And also, if you would like, you can always email us directly with any questions uh, that you may have for us at the Academy Podcast at Outlook.com. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your week. See yous.